The following is a sermon from Gila Valley Baptist Church, and we pray this message strengthens your relationship with our Lord and Savior. We're located in Gila, New Mexico, and to learn more about our ministry or how to support our ministry, please visit GilaValley.org. Romans is in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and Romans, and we'll be in chapter 3, which is the big number, and then right at the start of chapter 13, sorry, verse 1 through 17. And we look at this text, the idea that Paul is going to teach us in his letter to Rome is that authorities are God's public servants. Christians have the freedom to follow the law with love and godly armor. This last couple months of moving to New Mexico, something that anyone needs to do whenever they move their house, whether it's another state or another city or just another building, you have to go to the motor vehicle department. And you have to wait in that stereotypical long line. You have to make an appointment online right now. And so... We've been trying to do this. We've tried Silver City. We've tried Las Cruces. We've tried everything that we can think of. And then a church member told us, have you tried Reserve? And so we were able to go to Reserve and get our license there. So we are now registered New Mexicans. So praise God for that. But as we're there, right, no one likes the motor vehicle department. Like, when you go there, you cringe, you don't want to wait in the line, but there's a purpose for it. And so what we're going to see in Romans chapter 13 is no one, well, most people, don't like the governing authorities. We were told to submit to the governing authorities. But what we're going to see is that it's God's plan, and God is the ultimate authority. And so, just a little side note, if I'm not wearing my glasses when I'm driving, hold me accountable because I failed that test. Like, I cannot see anyone except a whole bunch of blurry stuff. And so, by the grace of God, it doesn't say on my license that I have to wear my glasses, but you know that moment when you get pulled over and you know that you were speeding and the cop says, hey, I'll let you go anyways? Thankfully, I don't have to legally wear my glasses when I'm driving, but I should. So... is writing in the middle of Nero's reign. We talked a little bit about Nero as we were in the uh, preceding verses last week. And I want us to understand that Paul's not writing in a perfect political climate. Right? Nero is a ruler that is messed up. He murdered his mom. He's murdering Christians. He's uh, burnt down Rome. And so Paul's writing this in that context. And he's telling us to submit to the governing authorities. I also want us to understand that Paul was a governing authority at one point. Because of his Jewish heritage, he had the responsibility and the authority to act in certain ways. And he also did not treat that authority appropriately. He then went and murdered Christians before his conversion. Paul also understands that Jesus suffered the ultimate injustice. We read in the Gospels that Jesus was not found guilty, but because of the governing authorities, they murdered Jesus on the cross. And so I want us to understand that even when governing authorities are messed up, what we need to understand is that God has a sovereign plan. Jesus was crucified because of an unjust governing authority, 
but because of the perfect will of Jesus, that is why we are here this morning. That is why we worship this morning. And so regardless of what is going on, let's understand that God has a plan for it. We understand in our culture that there's a separation of church and state. But when we look at Romans chapter 13 today, we have to understand that God has appointed the government. The government, And his, it's his institution, it's his design to carry out the judgment of the present age. We may be familiar with the Ten Commandments, do not steal, do not murder, don't commit adultery, right? God's plan to enforce those commandments, to enforce the law, is the governing authorities that exist. And a lot of us, when we're talking about government, or we're talking about politics, especially right now because of everything going on, you say, no, absolutely not. I'm not going to submit to the government whatever they say. And there is a time for that. And we'll see other passages of scripture where we can have civil disobedience in our submission to the Lord. But in the midst of this political disaster that Paul's writing to, he doesn't address that. And so because we preach the Bible and we don't add our own ideas into it, we're just going to preach what the Lord has for us this morning. And so there is a time for civil disobedience. We see that in multiple passages throughout Scripture. But in the midst of the chaos, Paul is not addressing that. And so if you are saying this morning, hey, I'm not going to submit to the governing authorities no matter what, let me ask you this. Are you willing to submit to God? Because by submitting to God, we have to submit to the governing authorities. And in fact, because of our sinful nature, we actually don't even want to submit to God. Genesis chapter 3 in the Garden of Eden God told them, hey, don't eat from the knowledge of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, what did they do? They disobeyed. They did not submit to God. Here, today, in our daily life, there are some times that we refuse to submit to God. Hey, God, I know who I'm supposed to date. You just got to put them in, in line for me, right? God, I think that my plan is somehow better than your plan. And when we're sinning, this is what we're doing. We're saying, God, I'm not going to submit to you. And so when we look at the text here in verse 1 through 4, and it tells us to submit to the governing authorities. I understand that is a hard thing to do. But we cannot pick and choose what we decide to believe in God's word. Either 100% of it is true or 100% of it is false. And as your pastor, we will preach the word of God and we believe that the word of God is without error. So before we study our text, let me ask you this question. Regardless of where you stand and what you think about our government, let me tell you that there are Republicans and Democrats potentially that attend our church. There is no division in the body of Christ. Okay? And so whatever your political stance is, we have to submit to the governing authorities. And so what Paul's going to challenge us to in verse 17 is he's going to challenge us to pray. To pray for these people. And so right now we're just going to have a moment of about 30 seconds that I'm going to ask you to pray for our governing authorities, regardless of if you agree with them or not. 
but just pray for our governor, pray for our president, pray for our former, our future presidents. Just pray that God's sovereign plan will take full effect. And so I'm going to give you about 30 seconds to pray and I'll close us in that prayer. Father, we praise you for your word. Father, there are several tough passages that you command us to, and frankly, it's tough. Frankly, we don't like submitting to anyone. We don't like submitting to our bosses. We don't like submitting to our husbands. We don't like submitting to you, Lord. Submitting to the governing authorities, that just seems crazy. But Father, we do pray for our governing authorities. Father, we pray over the government that you have established, that you have instituted. And Father, we know that the ultimate authority is from you. And so Father, may us not resist them unless for some reason there is a cause for civil disobedience. If the government ever asks us to do something that you prohibit us not to or if the government asks us to break your word and run away from your word. But Father, may we be a church that understands and believes in every single verse and every single word because the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so Father, as we study this difficult text regarding religious freedom, Father, would you give us understanding in your word. And all God's people said, Amen. I'm going to read right here verses 1 through 4. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. In verses 1 through 4, we see that authorities are God's public servants. I love the first part of verse 1, where every person... And remember, Paul's writing to the church at Rome. He's writing to a church that understands that their relatives have been murdered because of the governing authorities. Again, there's several scriptures that we can reference in another sermon of when we need to be disobedient towards the government. But in the midst of all of this... When Nero is tying Christians to a tree and lighting them on fire, when Nero just murdered his mother, when Nero just burned down the entire city of Rome, he pens this. Some people are going to want to fight the God-given authorities, but let us understand that doing so is resisting God. 
The second part of verse 1, those that exist have been instituted by God. Just above that, for there is no authority except from God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities, what we do is we resist what God has appointed. We don't have to understand it. But if we believe in God's word, we do have to submit to it. Then he goes on to say that the government authorities have the approval and are appointed to resist those and to judge those who break the law. And remember, the Jewish individuals had about 600, 700 different laws that they were enforcing, that they had to follow according to the church. And we're not a religion of works, we're a religion of grace, and so we're not accustomed to all of those different laws that they were. But if we just understand the Ten Commandments here, this is God's way to enforce the Ten Commandments. If someone were to murder someone that you loved, you would understand that it's the government's responsibility that is ordained by God to judge that individual, to sentence them to whatever they need to do. Right? If you speed several times, eventually you're going to get your license taken away. And so what he's saying is, is these are the avengers for people that break the law. And whatever the judgment is, the judgment is going to work. They have the authority from God to put this judgment on display. I have a one-year-old. And I thought that the two-year-old was hard. And some of you guys who are more experienced parents are just going to make fun of me for this, and that's, that's fine. I deserve it. But I'm learning how to be a dad. And right now, Caden, our one-year-old, does not know many words, but he loves the word no. He absolutely loves the word no. And so, trying to find a punishment for him, a one-year-old, I don't know how you punish a one-year-old. Spanking doesn't work, he laughs. You tell him to go in the room, well, he doesn't know to stay in the room, so he comes out. How do we punish a one-year-old? And what the Lord is saying here in Romans chapter 13 is, he says, the government has the authority and their wrath is going to punish us. And however it works, it's going to work. And it may get more extreme all the way to the wrath of God, which hopefully everyone in this room understands that we don't want the wrath of God. Right? We don't want the judgment of God. So I'll take the judgment of the law because I understand that my eternity is secure in heaven. And so what we can get from verses 1 through 4 is what punishment is going to work? to get our attention. Are we going to continue to disobey God's law? Are we going to continue to disobey the government authorities? Are we going to submit to it? Let's read verses 5 through 7. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Verse 6. For because of this you also pay taxes for the authorities or ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owned, respect to whom respect is owned, honor to whom honor is owned. Verses 5 through 7 teaches us that submitting to authorities is submitting to God. That is good for our conscience. It's good for our Christian walk. It is beneficial. All scripture is beneficial for our Christian walk. 
look at the idea of paying taxes. And maybe we don't agree with the government, but a way to submit to the government that we do not agree with is paying taxes to them. Jesus actually addressed this in Matthew as his disciples asked, do we have to pay taxes because our, we're not citizens of earth, we're citizens of heaven, so we have to pay taxes. And he asked them to take up their monetary uh, coins at the time, and he said, whose face is on that coin? And the answer is Caesar, Nero. And so here, Caesar's face is on that coin. It bears the image of Caesar, so we turn it to Caesar. This is Jesus talking in Matthew. And then he goes on and he says, but who are you an image of? And this may be convicting for some of us. Who are you an image of? We are an image of Christ. We are made in the image of Christ. And then, so he continues on in this context and he says, well, then bear the image of Christ. Return to Christ what is Christ. It's not yours. Your body is not your own, but it is Christ. Christians should never avoid paying taxes. This is an issue of integrity. We see here to pay our debts to those who we owe debts to. Right? We, we can do that. We understand we need to pay our taxes to those that we owe taxes to. And he says, hey, don't steal stuff. Don't steal anything. Seems pretty simple. I can, I can follow those laws. But then he goes on and he convicts us of some very difficult task. And the idea of submitting to the authorities, he says, show honor to those who honor is owed. Not because we want to honor them, but they are owed honor because their authority is not their authority. Their authority has been put in place by God. Whether it's for his sovereign plan or for his beautification of the world that we live in. Whatever it is, we have to submit and owe honor to those who are owed honor. And we have to give respect to those who are owed respect. That's the tough thing to do. Often Christians complain about their current situations. As Christians, we complain about the different political agendas or whatever it is, but we spend no time trying to get involved in these quote-unquote politics to bless our city, to bless our town, to bless our nation. And so let me ask us as a church, if that's something that you are called to do, then would you take your God-given biblical convictions into the political sector. Would you use your God-given political, your, your biblical, sorry, understanding of God's word to impact the, the world? Matthew chapter 5 says that the reason why the world is going to go so dark is because the light has stopped being the light. And so in Proverbs, he tells us that the righteous nation will have people who understand the righteousness of God. And so mainly we have one day a president, or a governor, or a future, or a pastor, whatever it is, that understands what the Word of God says. It doesn't say, hey, there's a separation of church and state, but understands that Roman 13, it is from God, it is ordained by God, and it is God's plan for the government to exist. I posted this on Facebook this week. May we avoid being the kind of Christians who spend more time criticizing, whether it 
it's something about the church, whether it's something about the political, whether it's whatever it is, and spend more time praying. Let me say that again. May we avoid being the kind of Christian who spends more time criticizing than we do praying. Let's lead with our biblical values. Let's submit to them. Let's pray for them. Danny Aiken says this in our political climate right now. I think this is relevant. I'm going to read a quote from him. So as a devoted follower of Jesus, I will say yes to obeying the government and paying taxes to Caesar. But I will say no to disobeying the word of God and worshiping a man or institution. Independence Day for the, state of, for the United States of America is July 4th. But Independence Day for the Christian, I'm continuing on in this quote, Independence Day for the Christian is not marked by a flag. No, our Independence Day is Easter, marked by a cross and an empty tomb. That is our independence. That is our religious freedom. We don't have to submit to the government authorities if they tell us that the one who put them in place and what he commands us to do is different than what they command us to do. And so we have to understand that. But overall, again, in the risk of political chaos, Paul is telling us this. He doesn't even address what to do when the government is corrupt. He says, pray for them, respect them, honor them, pay the taxes that are owed to them, submit to them. Kings and kingdoms fade away, but the kingdom of God endures forever. Let me tell you that as we go into the next couple of verses here, as your pastor, there may be a time that I lead us in civil disobedience. If our state shuts our church down, we will continue to meet. I understand that as your pastor, and there are pastors in the United States that have been arrested for continuing to meet. And so I've already spoke with the deacons, I've spoken with my wife, and so we will stand up for the word of God and we will continue to meet. But if persecution comes to myself or my family, let me tell you that I now need your prayer and then will need your prayer. But the government does not tell us what the Bible says. The Bible tells us what the Bible says. When Paul originally was writing this letter to Rome, there wasn't chapters and verses put in place. And so he continues on with the same train of thought. Sometimes our Bibles break these up into different paragraphs or sections. The original letter to Rome didn't have these divisions, didn't have these paragraph breaks. And so we're going to go on into the next two different paragraphs. I'm going to read verses 8 through 12. Oh, no one, anything, except to love each other. For the love who, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is a fulfilling of the law. Church, let us understand that as we submit to the governing authorities, we have to love 
one another inside of the church, and we're only able to follow the law that's in place because of our genuine affection and love for one another. And so Paul just told us that we owe taxes, we owe this, we owe this, we owe honor, we owe respect, and then he says, hey, the debt of love that you owe is overwhelming. Because the crucifixion of Christ and his love for you, we now in return have to love other people. And so the disciples asked this question, and when we're told to love our neighbor, you may have the question too, who in the world is my neighbor? Because this one person, I, I'm not going to love them. This one person, I've tried to love them, I've prayed for strength to love them, but I just can't love them. And so are they my neighbor? Let me tell you, they are. And this is another thing that the Lord instructs us to do, to love our neighbors. Our neighbors are everyone on earth. May we as a church show that we love our community. Not just say that we love our community. Do we have like a teenage relationship? Oh, I love this person. I, I've been dating with them for a week. I love this individual. I would do anything for them when their love is tested. Love does no wrong. Love never fails. We see this in First um, Corinthians chapter 13. The definition of true love. And that's what God is asking us to do. That's what Paul is writing to the Roman church. Asking them to do. Hey, love. Love is hard. Love is very difficult. I'll, I'll just be as transparent as I can with you. There are times that we like our spouse, and I'll tell my wife, I like you. But my spouse and I, we have a conversation. We will always love each other. Right? How do you know that you made the right person? Look at the marriage certificate. That's the right person that God has in store for you, right? And there will be times that we don't like our spouses. Let's be real with each other, right? I don't like how you did that. I don't like how you did this. But we shall never stop loving our spouses. We should never stop loving our community. We can't just say that we love our community without showing our community that we love them. If there's a need in our community, if there's a need that needs to be met, we have to, as the church, show that we love them with action. Let me ask you this, because I think everyone in the church would agree with that. But God actually tells us, I'm going to put John 13:35 on the screen for us, that the world will know by all by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so we can say, hey, it's easy to love the community. Let me ask you, is there someone in our church that you do not love? Because the world cannot know who we love if we do not love each other. We have to submit to one another as a church. We have to love one another as a church. The way that the community is going to know that we are followers of Jesus is how we love one another inside the church. Too many people 
outside of our community, and maybe inside of our church just in general, and stereotyping here, they know more about the things that we're against rather than the things that we are for. And so may they know that we are for Christ, that we are for the love that never fails, the love that endures forever, the grace of God. We are for the crucifixion of Christ that pays the price for our sins. And we may be against these things, but let's not focus on all the time that we are against. Let's say, hey, this is what we are for, and because of what we are for, because of our love for one another, we are against these things. Love is about faithfulness, not adultery. Look at the text here. He lines out these different things. You shall not commit adultery. Love would have faithfulness, not adultery. He continues to go on and he says, you shall not murder. Well, if we love them, if we love individuals inside of our community and inside of our church, then we would want them to flourish. We would want them to succeed. We wouldn't want to murder them. We are able to fulfill the law of Christ. We are able to submit to the governing authorities by how we love one another. And then he says, hey, don't steal. If we show our genuine love and affection towards other people, then we want to bless them. We don't want to take away from them. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Could you imagine the bickering as Paul's reading this to the church at Rome? Uh, do you understand what Nero has done to us? You want us to love Nero? You want us to love the, the government that is going to put other pastors in jail and all of these different things? You want us to love them? You want us to pray for them? You want us to submit to them? Paul understands that this is tough. Let's to pick up in verse 11. Besides this, so he says, in light of everything, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. And we continue reading to verse 14. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. Verse 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. It is impossible to do this. It is impossible to submit to our governing authorities. It is impossible to love one another if we do not first submit to God. Paul tells us that this is a spiritual war. In the second part of verse 12 at the end, he says, the armor of light, he says, it is a spiritual war, and we cannot fight a spiritual war without godly armor. In verse 11, he says, hey, the hours come. If you accepted Christ yesterday, or 10 years ago, or 15 years ago, or if you haven't yet accepted Christ, I want us to understand that this is a place where judge-free zone, right? Our only judge is God himself, and so if you need to accept Christ this morning, then at the end of our service this morning, please come forward. Please come forward and... 
understand that you cannot do it on your own, but it is only Christ who can save you. But in light of all of this, we cannot do it without the spiritual armor. He says that the moment that you first believed, it's now closer to Jesus' return than it was then. Amen? And so, right now, if you understand and you accepted Christ however long ago, Jesus is coming back sooner now than when you believed that he was coming back. And so what he's telling the church is he's saying, wake from sleep. Would you highlight that? Would you circle that in verse 11 there? Wake up from your sleep. Christians, we are under attack. We need to wake up. There is a spiritual war. Could you imagine if you went into a group of military personnel and you went into the platoon and a whole bunch of them were sleeping and they were flaming arrows outside and you said, hey, there's a war going on. we got to go fight the war. That's what Paul's saying. He says there's a spiritual battle in store for us. We need to wake up from our sleep. We need to stop hitting snooze on our faith. Every nine minutes, 11 minutes, eight minutes, whatever, if you have a phone and you hit snooze on it, it goes off again. Beep, 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 beep. I'm going to hit snooze. You know what? I know the church is important, but I'm going to go next week. Beep, beep, beep. We hit snooze again. Hey, I know that I need to be obedient to the Lord and i got to get baptized. Snooze on my faith. Beep, beep, beep. I'm going to put off being obedient to God. Today is the day that Paul is convicting us to wake up, stop hitting snooze on your faith. Church, beloved, Hero Valley, let's wake up and fight the spiritual war. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believe. He says the night is gone. He's writing to Christians. He understands that they have a relationship with Jesus. He says, the night is gone. Your old self is put to death. And now it's daytime. It's time to act. It's time to be the light of the world. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. And so, Ray read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18 for us this morning. And it will be on the screen. I'm going to go through it really quick. Verse 10 tells us to be strengthened by the Lord in his vast strength. Jump to verse 12 for us. For the battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, check this out, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of the heavens. Verse 13 reminds us that we must take up the full armor of God. We must take a stand. Verse 14 says, Stand therefore with the truth, with the truth, like a belt around your waist. Talking about the godly, the godly armor. Truth, like a belt around your waist. Righteousness, like an armor on your chest. Verse 15, your feet sanded with readiness for the gospel of peace. We just ask us, are, are our feet ready to go and share the gospel of peace? Once we say amen and we leave this building. It says, hey, verse 16, we have to take up the shield of faith. Go to verse 17, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. 
verse 18, he says, pray. Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus, who has a similar problem as the church of Rome, who has a similar problem as other churches that we see in Scripture, but he reminds us to put on our godly armor. You cannot submit to the governing authorities on your own. It's difficult. You cannot love your neighbors on your own. You can't love other people on your own. But by the grace of God, by the power of God, by us taking up our spiritual armor, and then through prayer. Verse 18, pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request, and stay alert. Paul also tells the church at Ephesus, wake up, stay alert, and this we will preserve as saints. May we no longer walk in the dark. We must walk in the light. We must, as Christians, walk in Christ's likeness. I love what verse 17 says here. It says, make no provision for the flesh. What that means is to say no to anything that may lead you to sin. Avoid even the desire to sin. If we act like the world, we cannot impact the world. Something for present-day Christians, we understand all too well that there are people outside of our congregation that do not come to church because of the way that we act towards one another. It's just true. Okay? Every single church has this problem. But look at the problem that the Church of Rome has. And so understand, there's orgies going on, there's drunkenness inside the church, these professed Christians are practicing in sexual immorality, they're quarreling among each other, they're jealous among one another. I don't want to go to that church. That's exactly what Paul's saying here. He says, make no provision to sin. Don't make a way to sin. If you have a desire to sin, put that desire to death. If we act like the world, we cannot impact the world. Hey, you know, I really want to go to church, but I see the way that you act at school. It doesn't line up with what the Word of God says, so something's off. Hey, I really want to go to church, but sometimes, you know, I see your conversation with the other co-worker, and you don't treat them the way that I think Christ would treat them. And so what they do is they dismiss Christianity altogether. And so Paul's writing to the church at Rome, and he says, you're not acting any different now that you have Christ, so put off the old darkness and live in the light. By understanding this, Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus in 1 Timothy, and he gives us the qualifications of deacons. And he tells us, hey, uh, don't be someone who drinks a whole bunch of wine. Because there's people in the church who are struggling with drunkenness. There's Christians who are struggling with drunkenness. He says, hey, be someone who submits to one spouse because there's people inside the church who are having orgies inside the church. And so he's putting these, he's putting on display the understanding that as the leaders of our church, as the lead servants of our church, they have to act different than this right here. But I'd also say that the qualifications for every deacon is a qualification for every Christian. If you're looking, hey, who should I marry? Look at First Timothy. Look at the qualifications of a deacon. You should marry someone who only 
has one spouse. You should marry someone who isn't addicted to much wine. You should marry someone who isn't quarrelsome, who isn't divisive. You should marry someone who submits to the word of God. We all have temptations. Romans is telling us not to act on them, but rather to act like Christ. Don't plan to sin. Do not daydream about sin. Do not seek comfort in sin. Do not flirt with sin. Do not entertain the idea that a wild night of drunkenness and partying will cure your loneliness, sadness, or boredom. As a married person, do not entertain the idea that committing adultery will somehow satisfy your unfulfilled romantic desires. As a person frustrated in your current situation, do not entertain the thought of growing jealous of others. As a bitter person, do not begin quarreling with others. Make no provisions for the flesh. Instead, direct your mind and the promises of God in Scripture. Direct your mind to the beauty of Christ. I'm going to ask our worship band to come forward this morning, and I want to ask us, church, whose army are you in? Are you in the army of the world? Are you in the army of Christ? If so, we need to wake up as his army. We need to wake up every time an unbeliever dies, we lose another soldier in the spiritual war. There are people dying and going to hell, and too many of us are giving authority to our fleshly desires, as verse 14 tells us. Well, they hurt my feelings, so I'm going to quarrel, I'm going to gossip, I'm going to have division. We act as if our sin is somehow better than Jesus. But let me, under, let me explain to you, and we understand this morning, that the beauty of Jesus is better than anything. May we be satisfied in what Jesus has done for us. So as this church is struggling with different sins and different temptations, I want us to understand this. Instead of getting drunk on alcohol, what if we got drunk on Jesus? What if we consumed so much of Jesus that our faith began to be wild and reckless for God? What would our faith look like? What if we loved sacrificially the way that Jesus loves us? How would our marriage look like? What if we were jealous for God the way that he's jealous for your attention? What would your faith look like? What would your Christian walk look like? What would our church look like? This morning, if there's someone who needs to wake up, if there's someone who needs to stand up, if there's someone who understands that they need the forgiveness for the sins that they struggle with, and they can only receive that forgiveness through the blood of Christ. We can only submit to our governing authorities. We can only love our neighbors. We can only have godly armor if we first have Christ. And so let's stand and sing a song of invitation. Would you come this morning if you have the desire to put sin to death and to live for Christ?